You might think if you walked into your typical Christian bookstore and took note of the disproportionate amount of material that sells regarding the family and particularly parenting, you might expect from just taking a survey of all that that there would be an equally large representation in the Bible of the same subject. You might expect that there would be, as you open up your New Testament, maybe an entire book, an entire epistle dedicated to that subject, to family and to parenting, or if not an entire epistle, maybe a chapter or, or at least a key paragraph that gets into the details of what that looks like in parenting. But in fact, you don't find any of that. When you open your New Testament to look up something on parenting, what you find is one verse. One verse in Ephesians chapter 6 is paralleled over in Colossians chapter 3. One single little verse, just a few simple words, very basic, somewhat uncomplicated, simple instructions on parenting. And it's interesting, God doesn't seem interested in addressing so much of what sells on the shelves of Christian bookstores or goes under a Christian label on websites. His word never addresses some of the basic, practical, common sense issues of raising children that people are so consumed with. He doesn't deal with things like feeding and nursing and diapers and bedtimes. He doesn't talk about encouraging creativity in your child or, or, or any kind of scheduling or playtime or any of those things. Now, of course, there is a lot of detailed instruction for young men and young women in the book of Proverbs, and if ever there was a book dedicated to the task of raising a godly generation of young men and women, that would be the book of Proverbs. But unfortunately, if you survey parenting books, there aren't very many of them that are actually given to expounding the book of Proverbs. Surprisingly, some of the things that are most commonly the consuming topics of discussion, the consuming debates among parents are never even mentioned in Scripture. Instead, God gives us this basic instruction on parenting. The statement that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, which is our text for this morning, really a succinct outline of the basic expectations that God has for every parent. In some or in so many ways, we have succeeded in complicating what are these very simple instructions the Lord has given us regarding our task. The last thing we want to do this morning is to muddle this up by attaching all sorts of extraneous expectations and rules and conditions that might obscure the beautiful simplicity of God's demands and our responsibility. Paul states it very simply here in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your anger, children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This word fathers, by the way, pateris, don't get, don't get caught up in the fact that he's addressing this just to the men. The word itself can be translated as parents. It's translated that way in other places in the New Testament. Hebrews 11, for example talking about Moses' parents in general. So this is an instruction that's just simply to the men 
just simply to the fathers, this is God's instruction for parents, fathers and mothers. This is the task that the Lord has given you in raising children. And basically what he gives you is something of a negative and something of a positive. He addresses negatively your responsibilities and then he addresses positively your responsibilities. On the negative side, don't provoke them. And on the positive side, bring them up in the Lord. It's really so simple. It's basic. Essentially, you love them so as not to provoke them. And you bring them up in the Lord. Now, we want to look at this in a little bit more detail because as any parent will tell you, beyond those simple instructions, it gets sometimes complicated. And sometimes it is, it is a, a little more challenging to understand on a day-to-day basis exactly how to pull this off. So we want to look at it in some detail because it does indeed encompass a lot. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things that has uh, sometimes most consuming in our time. It certainly is huge responsibilities. Just to say there's only one verse dedicated to it doesn't necessarily detract from the great responsibility we have and the great stewardship we have as we raise our children. So we're going to look at this this week. We're going to even take some time next week to follow it up. This week, just taking our focus on the first side of this instruction, the the negative side of what Paul asks us of what God demands of us that we not provoke our children he begins by telling us what not to do that's the the, the things you want to avoid in parenting you want to avoid provoking them to anger not necessarily referring to a particular outburst of angry emotion it's not to say that you won't make your kids angry in a momentary sense Because quite honestly, being the adult in the relationship, you must sometimes make hard choices. Some things your children are not going to like. You will have to upset them. You'll have to be willing to make them cry. You'll have to stir them to anger. I'll never forget, I was asked to counsel someone's child one time. They were having difficulty with him. They said, Pastor, would you mean and talk to him? So I met and talked to him and we talked and I thought we had some productive time. I thought the Lord was bringing conviction into his heart. And they called me afterward and said, we're not bringing him back. I said, why? I mean, I thought we were making. She said, well, you made him cry. (laughs) That's the point sometimes, right? To bring a little pain. Sometimes uh, it's necessary to stir some momentary anger. You have to. But that's not what Paul's talking about. In fact, this particular word doesn't refer to so much an outburst of emotion as much as a settled attitude. In fact, the only other time it's used in the New Testament, it's used alongside of sort of in parallel with an ongoing abiding attitude of jealousy. So it's the kind of anger that burns deep down low like jealousy. Sort of a stewing, an abiding resentment very consistent the way that Paul uses it here because he's using it in a present continuous tense. It's not a single event, but it's an ongoing continuous state. And even in the parallel passage in Colossians 3, Paul simply says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. 
So this provocation that Paul has in mind isn't some momentary outburst of emotion. This is sometimes, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, it's not the outburst of emotion which is sometimes very necessary in parenting. This is the, this is the ongoing sense of discouragement. We might say a sense of frustration, vexation, ongoing irritation with you that your children feel. One version actually says, do not exasperate your children. Don't aggravate them. Don't discourage them. Don't exasperate them. That is so key in parenting. That's what you need to avoid. So the big question is, how are you going to do that? How are you going to avoid raising kids that end up growing bitter and resentful against you? How are you going to, how are you going to raise kids who, who, are one, uh, who are not one day provoked by some underneath simmering resentment that boils over in frustration and animosity towards you? How are you going to raise kids that, that while they're outwardly conforming to your rules, they're all the time inwardly growing further and further away from you as the resentment grows? The lack of respect, the lack of, the lack of trust. How are, you going to grow, how are you going to raise kids that don't get there? Well, let me give you this morning a dozen a dozen suggestions, 12 sort of, uh, in some ways, common sense, hopefully, uh, or we should say equally biblical. 12, uh, 12 ways that you can stir this kind of discouragement in your children. Probably, perhaps most obvious is simply by mistreating them physically. Physical abuse, I mean, that's got to be at the top of the list. It's ungodly. There's no excuse for any parent to use their natural superior strength, not to mention their authority, to attack a child out of anger and frustration. Gaining some short-lived victory, maybe some superficial peace in the home, but destroying long-term their relationship with their kids. It runs against everything the Bible teaches about God's gentleness in dealing with us, right? Someone sent me a very unfortunate link this morning, uh, this week to see uh, a video of some person in the name of spanking their child, beating and cursing over and over and over their child. And it has nothing to do with what God wants you to do as a parent, even in regards to corporal punishment. Physical abuse. Physically outmanning them, mistreating them, is obviously going to ostracize them, not restore them, which is the goal of godly discipline. Along with physical abuse, though, there's perhaps, secondly, a more pervasive problem, which is emotional and verbal abuse. Demeaning them, belittling them, mocking them, especially in front of others, for your own personal amusement, your own personal enjoyment. Even sometimes expressing your frustration openly with their weakness and their immaturity and responding to them harshly because of it. Proverbs speaks about this over and over again. The impact that your tongue can have on others, your words can have on others. 
really no different with your kids. Proverbs 15.1 says, A harsh word stirs up anger. A harsh word stirs up anger. And if your goal then is not to, not to provoke your children to anger and not to provoke them to frustration, that obviously has to be off the list. Proverbs 12.18, there's one whose words are like thrust of the sword. You're consistently, continually jabbing at them with your words. And of course they're going to recoil. Of course they're going to be frustrated. Of course they're going to grow embittered against you. If for no other reason for their own self-protection from the pain of your words. Instead of that, according to the grace of God and Christ, you ought to be looking for opportunities not to poke fun at them, not to belittle them, not to express another disappointment in them, but you ought to be looking for opportunities to commend, to express your appreciation. Proverbs 16, 21 says that kind of speech, that sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. It'll give you, in other words, persuasiveness. It'll give you influence down the road with your children. Because they'll dwell in the confidence of your love for them. Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. If your kids know that you're a place, that you're a person and their home is a place where they're going to find health, where they're going to find sweetness, where they're going to find uh, some, something to, to strengthen their soul, they're going to want to have relationship and communication with you i love it the way that the apostle paul whenever he has a harsh word to say to a church even churches that are sometimes very wayward he always begins with a commendation doesn't he i mean even corinthians the one the church that he has the most to say in rebuke he opens up by commending them Always finding positives, always finding things that he can say because that represents Christ-like love. That's what it looks like. That's what it ought to look like with your children. We could add to that a third way of provoking your children to frustration and discouragement, which is simply failing to let them know how important they are to you. Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. This is the attitude that God wants you to have with your children. To understand that they're a reward. That they're a blessing. And if you remember, Jesus made a pretty big deal about how important children ought to be to us. You remember this? Luke 18, the disciples were trying to shun the children away. Trying to keep them out of the way. Out of sight. Trying to keep them, if you will, at arm's length. And Jesus rebukes them. The Bible says, because he wanted the children to be around him. He wanted to communicate to them in a very vital way how important they were to him. If your kids are always made to feel like there's some sort of intrusion in your life, some sort of intrusion into your plans. If they're always made to feel like they're a hindrance. And somehow they're a problem that you're trying to avoid. They cannot help but grow resentful. And in turn, unfortunately, what happens is that one day you become an intrusion in their life. One day you become an intrusion in their plans. Unwanted. 
and avoided. Fourthly, we might add that you can frustrate and discourage your children by simply humiliating them. Sometimes open and and intentional humiliation, trying to control them or pressure them by treating them with public shame. I've heard parents threaten to do this to their children, to go out and, and publicly shame them in front of other parents or sometimes even their peers, treating them in the ways that you would never want to be treated yourself or, or, or even in ways you would never treat another human being. Some situa- situations... It's not necessarily that manipulation, but it's simply scolding and rebuking them in public. You know, the Bible is very clear about this. When you're called to confront someone's sin, you are to do it in private, right? Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins, go to him and tell him his sin in private. I mean, the reasons are obvious. Uh, first of all, because that's way, the way you would want someone to deal with you. It's the loving thing. It's the respectful thing to do. But it's also the, the fact that they're more likely to be receptive and attentive to what you have to say if they're not at the same time having to grapple with the emotional shame of their public ordeal. Well, you know what? There's no exception clause there in Matthew 18 for your children. It doesn't say rebuke someone in private unless... They're under the age of 18, 16, 12, 8, 5. It doesn't say any of that. They're just as human. They're just as hurt. They're just as prone to shame. You know, it's really a shame to see parents who are so insensitive and so callous to their children's feeling, sometimes out of a sense, really out of their own personal embarrassment over perhaps the way their child's acting they're personally embarrassed as parents and they will therefore correct their child in front of others to prove somehow to everyone who's watching that they're maybe in control they're on top of things to prove to others that they're willing to address this but the real concern isn't for their child it's for themselves well listen you might save face for a moment for yourself but you're teaching your child to resent your admonitions to resent you for all the wrong reasons. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're at the shopping center. It doesn't matter if you're at the park. It doesn't matter if you're at the church. It really doesn't even matter simply if you're at home in front of other family members, in front of their siblings. You need to learn to treat your son or your daughter in the way that you would want to be treated. You need to learn to treat them the way that God has commanded you. In dignity and respect, you need to learn to find a quiet, private, secluded place when you issue rebukes, when you carry out discipline. It'll eliminate any doubt that as you're dealing with their sin, it's indeed an interest for them that you have in mind and not your own. Number five. You can frustrate and provoke your children by constantly finding fault with them. Proverbs 11.9 says, The mouth of the godless man destroys his neighbor. You better believe if it destroys your neighbor, it will destroy your son or daughter. Proverbs 16.27 says, Your words are, are, are like a scorching fire. The words of a foolish man are like a scorching fire. They will scorch little hearts and minds of your children, and eventually they will scorch your relationship with them. 
We can add to this six. You can exasperate or, or frustrate your child. You can provoke them to discouragement by overreacting and losing control when you correct them. This goes right along with what we said. Parents sometimes have a tendency to do this. They respond to some sort of disobedience or they respond even to some sort of foolishness, some sort of silliness, primarily because it infringes on your interest. It infringes on what you're doing. It interrupts your peace. It takes away from whatever you're currently involved with. If it's your TV show, if it's something you're looking at, on your computer or some project that you have your hands in. And so a parent has a tendency to overreact. Or maybe even out of a sense, as we said, of, of your own social awareness and what the child has brought against you by way of, by way of other parents and the, how they may think of you now. Listen, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's a child, whether it's a young adult, whether it's a brother or sister in Christ. The same principle holds true. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. We're told explicitly in 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. You think that's any less true with your children? That somehow you can get away with overreacting, losing control, losing your temper whenever you're correcting them. You think you can get away with not dealing with them with patience and gentleness? Well, no less applies to them than it does to anyone else. They are more likely to be influenced. They're more likely to be led to repentance when you're dealing with them gently and patiently, not overreacting. Number seven. We could add another way of discouraging and frustrating your children, which is simply by ignoring them. Just ignoring them. Makes me think of the story of Absalom. He wasn't wasn't necessarily a small child, but I think the principle still holds true. There was a moment in time, 2 Samuel, where he had angered and disappointed his father, King David. And it says there in chapter 14 of 2 Samuel, So Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. That's tragic. That's tragic. And of course, we all know what would happen. Absalom eventually would turn so violently against his dad in anger, he tried to take his life. He drove David out of Jerusalem. Tried to drive him to his grave. Until David was forced to come against his son and see his son die in battle. Ignoring your kids frustrates them. Shunning them, having no time for them. In fact, the Bible gives you just the opposite picture of how you should include your children in every aspect of your life. Deuteronomy 6, when you rise up, when you sit down, when you go out, when you come in, when you walk along the way. The picture is that you are including them, whatever you're doing, you're including them in your life. Not just tagging along, but, but interacting with them, teaching them. You involve your children in your life. You spend time with them. It's what every child desires. And when they're denied it, they eventually are discouraged and then frustrated by your total lack of interest. 
Number eight, you can frustrate and discourage your children by failing to seek their forgiveness when you've sinned against them. Again, you shouldn't think there's some double standard just because they're a child. The Bible teaches, look, if you come to present your gift at the altar and there you realize that someone has something against you, you leave your gift there. And you go and be reconciled to your brother. Jesus says, come, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you pay the last penny. In other words, be reconciled as quickly as possible. Reconcile before it's too late. That's the message. Well, the same is true with your child. We react to them out of frustration. We express some sort of selfishness to them. We expose them to gossip. We expose them to some sort of poor influence. Whatever it might be, whatever way you sin against your child, you need to go to them and humbly ask for their forgiveness. Where else are they going to learn what a humble response of repentance looks like? They've got to learn it from their parents first. They ought to see first in you that sort of humility so that they can emulate it. I don't think I'll ever forget a godly young lady telling me that she didn't remember much of what her mom taught her in terms of Bible lessons or even principles through the years. But the one thing that stuck in her memory was the humility of her mother as she came to her again and again, always asking forgiveness of her daughter when she had sinned. This young girl was talking about the spiritual impact that had on her life. We need to learn that, that we have this responsibility even with our children. They need to see you humbly asking forgiveness when you sin against them. Number nine, you can provoke your children simply by neglecting to listen to them. Simply not listening to them whenever they have input or certainly questions or even whenever you're correcting them, not giving them opportunity to explain themselves. James tells us, in fact, that we should be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger, right? We cannot react quickly in our anger. We cannot react without first listening to a matter. In fact, Proverbs eighteen thirteen says a fool does that. A fool answers a matter before he knows it. Well, that applies as much to the interaction that you have with your kids as anyone. You need to see clearly the impact that this has on their heart and mind when you won't even listen when they have something to say. They need to see the character of Christ in you. They need to see the fruit of Christ in you, even as you're correcting them. If you have any hope of them learning themselves what this looks like, they need to see it in you. You need to have a listening, attentive ear, not just in correction, but at all times. In the daily activities, communicating to them that you're simply too busy to have any interest in what they have to say. You're too busy to listen to them. It's a terrible representation of God and of his love to them. What does the Lord say or what does the Bible say about the Lord? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. Or we read it this morning in Psalm 116 during the scripture reading time. I love the Lord because he heard my voice. You want to have your children say, I love my mom. I love my dad. Listen to them. Listen to them. 
Don't get so busy that you don't have time for them anymore. Truly, God has listened to me, the psalmist says. He's attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because He's not rejected my prayer or removed steadfast love for me. Wouldn't it be great if your kids could grow up and say, you know, my parents were always attentive. My questions, my thoughts, my concerns. I love them because they listen. And even if your kids don't notice, even if they don't remember, take note of all your careful listening, you ought to do this because this is the way God deals with you. Plain and simple. Number 10. You can frustrate, you can discourage, you can anger your children by living inconsistently. Living inconsistently in front of them. If they hear you talk about righteousness, if they hear you demanding some level of virtue, but then they don't see it consistently lived out in your life, it will frustrate them. It will give rise to cynical attitudes. It will foster a double life in them. A mask they learn to wear in front of other people and they even learn to wear in front of you. I love that verse in 1 Thessalonians 2. It's one of my favorite chapters in all the scriptures. One of my favorite passages. Paul says to the Thessalonian church, he says, Your witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Now notice the connection he makes in the next verse. For you know... Like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Paul says there that he has a consistency between the way he conducted himself and the way he exhorted them. Like a loving father would, like a, fa- like a, patient, a patient parent would. He said, there was the interaction of my life so that you could see it. And then there was the gentle encouragement of my voice. Tremendous impact. Much more so than any lecture that you're going to give your kids is going to see the consistent life that you live in front of them. To see you in prayer, to see you in the word, to see you seeking God. See you dealing with others according to the fruit of the Spirit. I remember reading a book by Elizabeth Elliot and her saying that the dominant image of her father was that when she came down the stairs every morning, he would be kneeling in front of his chair with his shawl covering him because of the cold air praying. Listen, your kids begin to see that. Your words have weight when they know it's real to you. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, I remember your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. Paul says, look, the faith of your mother and your grandmother, it made an impact on me. I remember it, and I'm sure you do too. I'm sure it has an impact on you. Just as impactful as a strong testimony is a hypocritical testimony. It can do as much damage As a strong testimony can do good, it can drive children into discouragement, into frustration. You can undo with your life everything you think you're doing with your words. You can be like the hypocrites in Matthew 23. Jesus says that they shut up the kingdom of God. They don't enter themselves and they don't allow other people to enter because of their hypocrisy. 
You're not following God. You're not doing what God demands of you. And because of your hypocrisy, you're shutting up the kingdom to them as well. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all others will see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for in so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, consistency of your life with your message is key if you want to be used by God in the life of others, especially your children. So you want to frustrate them, you want to drive them into despair, you want to, you want to drive them into discouragement, you just live an inconsistent life. If you let them see that you're always talking Maybe at church, maybe during times of lecture with them, but you're not living it. Number 11, you can drive your kids to frustration and exasperation by indulging them. By indulging them. Exact opposite of what some people might think. They might think by indulging them, they're, they're somehow mollifying their anger. They're somehow squelching it. But if you fail to teach them proper self-control, if you fail to teach them proper restraint, if you fail to bring them face-to-face with their own depravity and arm them with weapons against their own pride and their own self-indulgent excess, you will eventually lead them to destroy every relationship around them, including the one with you. Proverbs says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You leave them to, yourself, to themselves, you, you indulge them like that, they're going to eventually bring shame and frustration and constant friction. Constant disappointment and frustration to their parents who are constantly having to deal with their own frustration in their own lives because of every negative impact that their sin is bringing. Their parents like Haggith whose son in 1 Kings chapter 1 set himself against David and tried to seize the power and the throne of the kingdom. And it says there in 1 Kings 1, 6 that his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? That was his main problem. His parents were unwilling to displease him by simply asking him, why are you doing this? Don't you see the depravity in your own heart? Don't you see see exactly the rebellion against God? Don't you see the consequences? Listen, you can't expect your children to be able to make judgments and have discernment. To be able to make adult decisions whenever they aren't adults in their development. John MacArthur talks about how there's been the, the leveling out of the generations in recent years. How today we are, we're dressing our children like adults and we're, giving, we're putting them in adult situations. It used to be that children were children and they were kept children by, by excluding them from certain experience and certain information. And along the way, they would be brought along in that information. They would be exposed to that information at the proper time by their teachers, by their parents. But now, we sit them down in front of a piece of electronics and they have absolute access to everything an adult would have. 
And they have, they have opportunity now to go and dress up like adults. They have opportunity to pretend like adults in almost every avenue. Little four-year-old children dressing up like adult cheerleaders or football players. Instead of just going out to the, the yard where there's no pressure. There's no overwhelming expectation of some parent who really is in it for his own, his own pride. Just to go out and be a kid. Listen, we are putting our kids in more and more adult situations and expecting them to make judgments. It's not going to happen. They need to be raised with restraint. They need to be raised with boundaries that may cause momentary displeasure to them. But it will produce an environment of peace and tranquility and harmony in your home in which those small displeasures will be forgotten in the sense of secure love that your child has or the protection that they feel from their own foolish choices. One more thing, our last one. You can provoke your children to frustration and anger and discouragement by failing to love your spouse before them. I'll never forget one of my seminary professors saying to me one of the best things that I could do for my children was to love their mom in front of them. I'm so thankful for that. I, I make a ton of mistakes in parenting. But if that's, if that's going to be impactful, I at least have some hope. I can do that one. Because basically your kids are going to learn a lot about how to treat others by the way that you treat your spouse. The way they see you treat them. You treat them with cynicism and sarcasm. You treat them with disrespect. You treat them harshly. You treat them in selfish ways. That's what they're going to learn. And more importantly, they're going to learn how to treat you by the way your spouse treats you. They see you treating their mom a certain way. They're going to treat their mom that way. They see you speaking to her a certain way or you dealing with your husband in a certain way. They're going to deal with him in that way. They see you belittling her. They see you disrespecting him. They're going to copy that attitude. Proverbs, in fact, tells us this, that if you walk with the wise, you will be wise. But in another place, it says, if you dwell with an angry man, you'll learn his ways. You're going to learn how to act by the people you're around. You're going to learn how to act by what you see. And if they can't see at a very basic level, the very fundamental level, how to love by looking at two loving parents, they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle. So simply love your spouse. Adore and cherish your spouse in front of them. It'll have an impact. Look, it's really not complicated when it's all said and done. Don't provoke your children to anger and discouragement. Simply treat them the way the Lord treats you. Filter every action, every reaction, every response to them through the filter of how the Lord deals with you. And the scripture says that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You learn to be a parent. You learn to be a father. You learn to be a mother. By the way, your heavenly father 
treats you. Obviously, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to know him. Obviously, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to be walking with him. You're going to have to be transformed by him. If you're here this morning and you haven't ever experienced that, if you see your family falling apart around you, you don't know what to do. Your very heart of your problem may be the fact that you don't know God. You couldn't begin to do all these things because you've never learned them from Christ. You've never had a relationship with God. Well, this morning, as we close in prayer, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to repent of your sins. Turn away from all your foolishness. Turn away from all of your stain of your wayward ways. Turn to the Lord and let him heal. First of all, you. And then your home. Stand together, we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful this morning for the instruction that you give us. It isn't overwhelming. You haven't made it complicated so that it's beyond our grasp intellectually. But Lord, we certainly know that it can't be accomplished apart from the Spirit. Even here, as Paul calls us to parent our children in this way, he's calling us to do it as those who are filled by the Spirit. So I pray that you would do that for us. And any who are here who don't know you, Lord, we pray that you would penetrate their heart, bring them to a place of faith and repentance. Bring them to a place where they're reconciled together with you. So that you're no longer their judge, but now you're their father. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, we pray that you would continually be transforming us and transforming the way we deal with our family, transforming the way we deal with our children by the image of your holy character. Give us a renewed vision of your love for us so that we can love our children in like manner. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.